September 3rd, this is Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. Pete Sampson from The Athletic joins us. We are now nine days away from kickoff. And speaking of kickoffs, kickoff times have been set. Tony Dungy is the new analyst for Notre Dame home games. Did you guys know that was coming? I did not. I, nope. didn't, I, didn't, know, I didn't know that was coming. So that's a real pleasant surprise for most Notre Dame fans. I look uh, forward to when Notre Dame fans are like, couldn't they get a guy who didn't play DB at Minnesota? <laughs> <laughs> well, if they play the Gophers at some point, it might come into play. Urban Meyer's comments about Notre Dame. He is uh, on the bandwagon for Notre Dame this year. And then the running back additions that were revealed the other day, which I kind of feel like because we can't follow up on questions, uh, we walked out of that thinking that Osita uh, Kwanu was now a full-time running back. Apparently that's not true. It's just a situational running back, but that's our problem to deal with. But let's start with, uh, let's, let's, let's start with uh, kickoff times are about what was expected. I, I don't really know what some people were expecting. Like they were going to be all over the board. Uh, I didn't anticipate that, but Duke will kick off at two thirty, as will all the other home games, except uh, we don't know about Syracuse yet. And then of course, night games with Florida state and Clemson. Could have could have skipped Florida State at night, um, but other than that, it was pretty much what I expected. It's just nice to actually have some certainty about when when the you games think, will be played. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, you don't think Florida State is going to be improved enough to make that a competitive game? I just don't think uh, night games are essential oh. in this time. Like, what <laughs> yes. ab, what atmosphere are you drawing on? Right. Well, that's I, true. That's a good point. That's how I felt. I wondered if, um, though, I did wonder if you'd have more night games just in a ratings dive. Yeah, it's more of a TV that, ratings thing. I was a little concerned that could happen, but uh, not totally surprised Florida State's at night. Uh, it's not a $300 ticket like it was a couple of years ago. So uh, this will be uh, after the bye week. That is, I think everybody thinks Notre Dame will be 3-0 and going into Florida State, right? No matter what you think of Notre Dame's season. They better, they you better be. Going to that. <laughs> yeah. They're oh, be- sure. We're going to be dealing with a lot of crap if they're not 3-0. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the Clemson game. I just sort of view it as like, TV shows, right? Like the Clemson game at night feels right, even though there are only students there, but it's also, you've got Georgia, Florida during the day. Um, you know, it's like, I, I don't know what games are going on uh, that, that first weekend in October, but you know, if, if Florida state Notre Dame is the best game, then so be it. Um, you know, I'm looking over at the SEC schedule right now. Auburn, Georgia is also at night. Um, that is usually that's usually is uh, Oklahoma Texas isn't that Red River rivalry? Uh, yeah, I mean that will be an early start. Yeah, it's, right. I think on Fox, and that's their only. No, actually, no. Oklahoma Iowa State is that weekend, and Texas okay. TCU is that weekend. But uh, yeah, I just sort of view as like I don't want two great night games on at once when we only have three conferences playing. Um, so that's that, that's my only concern about night games is like I want to watch as much good football as I can, and if I'm covering one, then um, it's hard to watch. You can't. Did you did you guys have as much of a problem with uh, Doug Flutie as most Notre Dame followers do? Uh, well, no, I'm a I'm a reasonable thinking person, so I would not have that much of a problem with Doug Flutie. <laughs> However, I just thought that Notre Dame could do a lot better in that position than they had. Yeah, I th- he's the. It's a great loss to my uh, film review on Tuesdays, though. It really is. Oh, so you can uh, critique his work? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, he always had one. He always had one in there. Actually, I thought Doug Flutie over the last three years made some really good points. I think, um, yeah, I think and, most people feel that way. Like yeah. he was a he was a better analyst in recent years. He did get. Uh, he just got oddly giddy at times, and it was I think that throws off an Notre Dame fan base um, because you have a tendency when you're hanging out with your family and friends, drinking and wanting Notre Dame to win, you take things personally when he says yeah. something. But you know that's. It does. It never sounded as analytical as Mike Mayock. So I think you think he's rooting when he probably wasn't. He was just right. I try. I I, I I I literally tried to hear some of the things that that his critics heard, and I I just I I never heard them. So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong about that. But I just I think, think he improved. That, like I, I do think he, he improved. But yeah. overall, I don't. Overall, he's not an upper echelon analyst, and I I think that's the big problem. Not. Not so much that he was cheering against Notre Dame. I, I I never got the feeling like he was cheering against Notre Dame. I think the juxtaposition of him with Mike Tirico is is quite jarring because you're talking about upper echelon uh, oh, announcers. That's true. That's true. As a play-by-play guy, I mean, Mike Tirico is 
for me, like number one, like in, in anything. So it, it, I always find, like, it's amazing to me that Notre, Notre Dame football, Notre Dame Duke, not really a, a marquee event in any way is going to have Mike Tirico and Tony Dungy on the call. Like that's like, I, well, I just want, I want Notre Dame fans to know that they're spoiled by what they have. Okay. Uh, and, and, and Tirico gets excited when the opponent makes a play, but nobody ever interprets it that way because, because a, after all, it is his job and it yeah. was Flutie's job to evaluate big plays regard the same, regardless of yeah. which side. But, and I get it. I, I mean, I get it. I understand fandom um, and, and I get that part, but I think that Tony Dungy could be a, a little blunt a little bit at times too. Yeah. I, I don't know what he'll be like. I, I don't know the last time he was an analyst for a game. He's been, I think yeah. in the studio. I guess for quite I'm, a while. I'm, I'm basing it upon studio work and I think he, he tells it, he pretty much tells it like it is, but you know, we'll find out about that. Um, I want to read Urban Meyer's comments to you um, on Fox. Of course, he said this, this is a, a, this is a, to the point, abridged version. I am all in on Notre Dame bandwagon. The SEC will beat each other up. Notre Dame will be favored in all but one. They're in a conference right now that's struggling and SEC will beat each other up. At the end of the day, I really believe Notre Dame and Clemson will be standing tall in the playoffs. Notre Dame has an excellent coach. They have a very strong culture. He's recruited well. And remember, we've talked about strong culture, returning offensive system, and returning quarterback. They check all the boxes. I know they've changed OCs, but that's Brian Kelly's offense, and it should be. He's that good of a coach. Thoughts on that? I agree with 95% of it. Um, and how, right how I felt. Yeah, I, I, I think – I mean, it's not all Brian Kelly's offense necessarily. I think Tommy Reese is going to have his hands in it like Chip Long did. Obviously, Brian Kelly has a lot to say with the game plan and everything. But he's turned if he's turned over game call. If you if you turn over play calling, it's not your offense on game day anymore. It's just the way it is because the play call mm-hmm. is essential. The flow of the game is essential. Now, will he chime in more with Tommy Reese in year one than he did with Chip Long in year two? I bet he does. I I, I think there's probably a working relationship there where you can chime in and say, Tommy, look for this. Tommy, remember this. Um, but I agree with everything he said about the SEC eating each other. Big 12 will get one. Um, Notre Dame and Clemson could be. And you could have, I mean, you could have two SECs easily. Um, if Clemson beats the living daylights out of Notre Dame, they're not going to get in the playoffs, obviously. Um, but when you have an offensive line, defensive line, defensive line depth, a quarterback, that's four of the five most important things. And we'll see if the secondary is athletic enough to be the fifth most important thing in the modern era where you better be able to make some plays out there and tackle yeah, it. I, I mean, I think Notre Dame has all the markings of a team that should be in the mix for the playoff, even if everyone was playing. Um, yeah, you exactly where you mentioned. Like, it's got five offensive linemen and Ian Book back, like a third year, and they haven't had a change in system. So, I, I just sort of view this season for Notre Dame as like, if you're not playing in Charlotte, it's going to be a disappointment. Um, so, if they get there, then they probably will have a chance. I pretty much everything you said, Tim, I mean, I agree with both of you guys, but what you were saying, Tim, this is what I commented about in Thursday's Thursday thoughts, because I mean, it is, it's a transition from chip long to Tommy Reese as the lines between Kelly's offense and long's offense are blurred. And I agree with you that he's got, he he can have more input uh, like during the week, especially in preparation for the game. Uh, Chip long's a pretty strong personality and he, he went about his business, business and called the plays the way he felt that they need to be called. But that's the one part of, of Myers, uh, Urban Meyer's comment that I, I think he's undervaluing or un- underestimating a little bit that it is, it's, a, it's a significant uh, a change in terms of a first-time play caller. And, yeah, Tommy, think about this. Tommy, think about that. I think that's easy to do in the Camping World Bowl against Iowa State when everything's going well for you right from the very beginning. Right. Uh, it gets a little bit more difficult when you uh, not only are playing Clemson, but you have a stretch of, you know, Florida State, Louisville, and Pittsburgh three consecutive weeks, and your season and your your playoff uh, possibilities are on the line at that point. But um, on the flip side, I think everybody respects Urban Meyer's opinion about Notre Dame and anybody in college football, and I think that that's that's a real positive sign. What do you guys make of um, Tim? You had something else to add to that? No, I was only, only that, and also Urban Meyer has no reason to not be completely blunt and honest when he when he he has zero bias in these things. I mean, he is well, just he does. literally there talking to you. 
Yeah, completely. people can think whatever they want, but Urban Meyer and, is never going to say that if just because Brian right. Kelly could be his new friend or something. And Ohio State's not in the running, and Penn State's not in the running, and Oregon was probably going to be at its best. And I don't care what anybody says, USC was going to be really, really good, really good this year, whether it had been a playoff team or not. Probably not because they would have screwed up something along the way because that's what they're apt to do. But they were really talented and they were going to be good. And Notre Dame is going to have to play them to determine whether they will get to the playoffs. So last thing in segment run, uh, segment one, excuse me, the running back additions, Osita Ekwanu, uh, Kendall Abdurrahman added to the running back core, how heavily involved they are. We can't ask follow-up questions. So when Brian Kelly just says, you know, we do an instant analysis right after that. Brian Kelly says that is playing running back. Okay, it's gospel. He's playing running back. We we no sooner finished our our little uh, our instant analysis, and it was like, wait a minute, he's not there full time. He's still playing linebacker. I uh, I listened to your mini podcast. Was that Tuesday? Um, yeah, I mean, I, like that was all in, man. I was all Monday, I, yeah. I was all in. All you right. said when you described it as inspired, I, I immediately went to the O'Malley uh, Raftery Torian Jones Jay Billis. <laughs> <laughs> inspired inspired um yeah i just it, these are it's like avery davis moving around two years ago yeah um you know it's a long way from it being anything and let's be honest like if osita aquanu or kendu abdul rahman are taking away reps from chris tyree like something is really off um, well, i could something could i be don't want that too. to happen Nothing's a long way from happening when you're missing people during August of 2020 training camp and you have to move yeah. to play because there's a reason they got moved over and it wasn't so they could have seven running backs. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I, you know, I was I, for, you know, our little evaluation there, I really wasn't thinking COVID it being COVID inspired, but it, it clearly was. Look, here's a, a Kwanu, a on in goal line situations. Abdurrahman in a jet sweep situation. Right. Okay. I get that. But I mean, something extensive where they're carrying five, seven, nine, twelve, you know, that's not going to happen. I almost think, but he's not, I'm not going five carries for anybody. Um, But I almost think a Kwanu in a goal line situation, if he is good at that situation is a bigger move than Abdurrahman and jet sweep. Cause jet sweep has Braden Lindsay, Avery Davis, Lawrence keys, Maybe Chris Tyree, you know, I you don't have a you don't no, have a career Notre Dame unless it's Flemish. No, I agree. Lindsay's the only one that's proven himself though to be effective in that with that particular sure. type play. So mm-hmm. yeah, moving a defensive player to offense for a goal line situation against South Florida is proven to be <laughs> yes. a genius. So he should he should block right there, right? Yeah. Here we go, going back to everything that can possibly happen wrong against <laughs> South Florida. All right, we'll be back for segment two, burning up the boards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Burning up the boards is segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider. We start with a question from Mac341. What do you think it will be like in the stadium with only students and ND faculty and staff? Do you think the students can affect the game for the other team? I, no, is the, I think the answer to the second question. Is just, there's just not enough people. Um, I, I don't know how that would work. Right? Unless they're all sitting behind the opponent's bench or like they sort of rotate around the stadium to be behind the offense if they're like at one of the goal lines. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be like a weird, poorly attended spring game. Yeah, they'll be distanced too. So it'll be really weird because they're not yeah. going to be next to each other. Um, I assume there will be quite a bit of uh, big screen work, Jumbotron work. I, I would have to imagine that that is going to come into play as much as they feel like it can. The band yeah. will be there. That helps told the band will be there, yeah. That yes. helps a lot, the band being there. I mean, everything, the band and the big screen and students that are really happy to be watching football and Notre Dame being undefeated as long as they can be should make for a really good atmosphere you, in the COVID era. That's yeah. Well, mm-hmm. can you use the scoreboard for crowd noise? Well, not during a play. Um, I've asked play, this question. I haven't gotten an answer. If you just play a highlight right before the play, 
like after the play ends of Notre Dame, a big play gets everybody excited that at least Brian Kelly was kind of hinting like we will do things to try right. to get them cheering. So it's got to be easy. I mean. Yeah, it's, it's going to be very echoey in there. I, I don't know. It's going to be strange. Um, I think it's just going to be really strange. I don't think the atmosphere is going to have much. I don't think it was going to be in much of an atmosphere. And if there was, I don't think it would have much of an impact on the game. I think those kids are probably just happy to be there if they can make it in. It will be interesting, you know, because in, you know, I don't know if everybody knows this, but each outlet's going to have one person there in the press box. So, uh, but my point is that, that the press box is, is pretty airtight. Now they're going to open windows up top or that's their plan. So we'll be able to hear a little bit more than we normally do, but of course it's not going to be nearly as loud. So I, you know, we can speculate about like we've been speculating about a variety of topics that pertain to football games in the fall. I've been doing that for six months. I, we're going to have to experience it to know really exactly what it's like. Have you guys watched any of the NBA playoffs? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds like you, you forget sometimes that there's not fans until you see the, the weird cardboard cutouts. I mean, they pipe in the appropriate noise. It's not like it's deafening where Golden State was playing Oklahoma City back in the day and it was just ridiculous. But there's there, there's the appropriate reactions and the music and everything. I think it's uh, – I, I think you have to pipe in stuff as much as you possibly can. I'm sure the NCAA will have a different viewpoint than the NBA did. Obviously, they created their own atmosphere in the NBA. Yeah. I'll be curious uh, – so as, as – everyone knows uh, I like watch a lot of EPL and I mean, that's an NBC product and they, they would have simulated uh, crowd noise come <laughs> through the broadcast that you could essentially choose to have or not have. Um, I'm going to try to talk to somebody at NBC next week to sort of figure out, okay, what are you going to do for your broadcast to make it feel like you're not, you're not broadcasting a spring game in September. Um, I don't know if they will have sort of stuff coming through the audio feed of your television that, um, you know, wouldn't be you wouldn't hear if you were there in in person. I hope they do that because I, you know, it at home you want to you want to hear you want to sound and feel like yeah it normally I like does. That. They did a good now, job of it, I right? Thought. And now, and as a as a baseball watcher, once the game starts, man, I yes. I, I don't it's they're playing, and I and I don't really I don't pay attention to anything else. It's competition and. You know, a 97 mile an hour fastball is a 97 mile an hour fastball, and it's still the same. I don't want to get I don't want to get caught up in this one much longer, but uh, I found it interesting that with no crowd, there was still pressure. NBA free throws missed by the greatest players in the world, and you could tell it was 100 percent on the moment. Standing alone at the line for one free throw with two seconds left, you can cut the two point lead to one. It is just like I can't. The pressure is still there in the moment, even without the crowd. It was really interesting. Although but, Butler hit two for the Heat last night. You see his one on rim in? Did you see his first one? Yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> it, it crawled in. It yes. crawled in. Yeah, I actually, you know, that that's a, a foreign situation then. So there's yeah. probably, there's more pressure. You probably sure. feel more comfortable with the crowd for you, quiet or against you. Uh, yeah, it's all different. Everybody's experiencing a, it's something different here. Dan Quinlan asks, which position group puts Norton most at risk if the starting unit is out for COVID. Offensive line, right? Yeah, yeah, I wrote that down, but what if the secondary goes down, the starting secondary? Well, a quarterback's got to be first because at least you have at least you have freshmen and redshirt freshmen. Well, okay, I think, no, I, think, I think Clark would do fine with the rest of the team involved. Does that yeah, make I sense? Think I, I'm yeah, saying? I, I feel strongly that offensive line is the – a deal killer. Well, I, no, I, I mean, I agree with that. But yeah. like when you say offensive line, I mean, it's not just going to be, okay, the starters are out, but all the backups are available. It's, it, it's, it doesn't, it's not going to work that way. Well, I thought it's, so that's how I'm the question. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not good anywhere. If you're saying like, what game would you, what game could you not win with nobody at the position? Um, it might still be offensive line. I don't know. <laughs> but you're, you see what I'm saying? You're not going to, lose your starting offensive line and have all the backups available to you. I think. Right. Yeah. yeah I just, I'm, go ahead. I'm trying yeah, to answer I, the, I, you're trying to answer the question as it was stated. You're tripping me up. Sorry, yeah. man. Sorry. <laughs> Kyle Hamilton, Sean Crawford, Nick McLeod, and one backup are out. Who do they stop? <laughs> I, I, we, I, again, questions yeah. that we cannot. Yeah. I, I, yeah well, you got, yeah. You have you have uh, 
well, you have uh, JOK playing safety because he's going to have some experience, <laughs> That's right. right? You get inventive. You're yeah. right about that. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe maybe the more interesting question is which position could they have, could they afford to be wiped out the most and have it affect them the least? Defensive line, if it's just the first four guys, maybe? I was going to go receiver. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point because you can make plays. All guys can make plays when given the opportunity. It just not yeah. as consistently. Well, that's if you can if you can control that, you just lose the starters and have all your backups. You're in greater control of COVID than anybody else in the entire world. Akalus, <laughs> <laughs> as Brian Kelly said, all position battles are finished, but didn't give us the names. Do you know who won those positions? It's my understanding that Jordan Jenmarquez is the starting buck. Um, I don't, and then the. The backup corners are Cam Hart and Isaiah Rutherford. And then beyond that, I'm not sure there were all like, I don't know now what the, the other competitions are. Well, the safety spot, the safety spot opposite Hamilton. It, it, I mean, it'll probably just be Crawford. I, it, yeah. Ryan like, Kelly continues yeah. to emphasize that every opportunity he gets. So I think he's a starting, he's a, the, the starting uh, um, safety. I do too. I, I agree. Just, I'm just wondering if he is also um, because of people missing camp time. I wonder if he's the starting nickel and the starting safety, and if they have another safety that yeah. comes in for him. We have a we have a question a little oh, bit yeah. later about that. You know, and like as it relates to the tight end, there's there's no one starter. I mean, Brock Wright's heavily involved. Right. Uh, Tommy Tremble's heavily involved. Michael Mayer certainly going to be involved, and, and probably Kevin Bauman too. Um, you know, the D line, the D line starters. I don't think there's any great mystery there. Uh, it's more backups, Pete, like you said, and and yeah. Hart, Hart and Rutherford. That's I don't consider that to be a surprise. And if they're if they're number two, then that means Crawford Crawford's at safety, or that's uh, that's exactly. keeping, that's uh, you know nickel in mind, and then McLeod and Bracey are the corners. So yeah, I mean, I I, you know, I was happy to hear Brian Kelly say that, although it's not a surprise because there really weren't a whole lot of positions wide open. Right. I think the question was probably asked because it took so long for them. Well, not so long. They didn't find a buck through uh, game one, you know, yeah, last uh, year, but they will. I, I had heard the same thing, Pete, about Jim Markeith, and obviously Jack Lamb is involved. He was last year. There's no reason why he wouldn't sure. be involved uh, in, in special packages um, this year as well. Joseph Ramaz, knowing that Notre Dame has consistently improved their team speed over the past four to five years, what exactly, or who for that matter, do you think it is that makes Brian Kelly feel like this 2020 group is the fastest he's had in his tenure, especially after losing guys like Pride, Aquara, Gilman, Kareem, et cetera? Hey, go ahead. I just don't think I, – I don't agree with the premise at all. Like, the, the idea that this is the fastest defense that he's had, I think, is crazy. Um, with Troy Pride being out, I'm not saying that Gilman or Elliott were that fast, but you're replacing one of them with a guy with two ACLs and a ruptured Achilles – and then, you know, to lose Aquara, who was really, really fast. And then Kareem, who was fast for his position. I, I'm just sort of confused about, I mean, Notre Dame has good team speed, but I, I think this sort of gets into like a media uh, nit that I, drives me nuts is like ranking everything as the best ever. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's just a fast defense, but it's, I don't think it's as fast as last year, okay. but that's fine. All right. My question is when did Brian Kelly say it's the fastest defense he's ever had? He didn't, he didn't. It was a, okay. It started with a quote that, that we used at the beginning of the week where, and it was by, it was an observation, what we've heard. And it was fastest Notre Dame defense I've seen. But it was not and, you. It was one of your sources. It was not. It wasn't me. And the person didn't say Notre Dame. It was fastest mm -hmm. defense I've seen here at Notre Dame. Brian Kelly didn't say that anyway. And so then he was then asked that question, and I think it was, it was phrased like fastest defense in the history of Notre Dame, which I know that was it. Just Notre Dame was it? Ball <laughs> defense ever? I know the evolution of man. They should every ten years they should be getting faster and faster. Well, I tell you what, they're not faster than the defenses that were the best under Lou Holtz, if you believe any media guide, because it's not even close. But I will tell you, the fastest defense Kelly has had, I think, is the 2018 defense could really run because Aquara could really run. You don't just go by, hey, Troy Pride's the fastest guy out there. I mean, you have to have everybody getting to the ball fast. Right. And they okay. Yeah, Jerry so Tillery was exceptionally fast yeah. for exceptionally his position. Fast. That's a great point. He was exceptionally fast for his position. I mean, Khalid Kareem covered ground, like, as you said earlier, at his position, they really cover ground. Kareem's not supposed to be out there chasing you and, 
angling yeah. you, you know, it's, that's, but I like their team speed too. Aquara can really move. And I bet you, uh, Tim Source was watching, uh, probably, uh, probably a Golfu or, uh, and Foskey and, uh, Owusu Koromoa, who now comes into the season, understanding what he needs to do, which he did not last year. I think there are a lot of factors here, okay? And and let's d- dispel fastest ever, whatever. It's a fast defense. Fourth year in the system, third year with Clark Lee. Uh, Hamilton on the field full-time makes you look very fast because he can take three <laughs> steps and cover half the field. Uh, I think I agree. I totally agree with you. Tillery was exceptionally quick off the snap of the ball, but I think Tiger Valoa Mosa is really trending in that direction. Uh, and you know, when you have good athletes, you have longer athletes, they're going to look quick. I mean, when they're good athletes and they're long, they're going to look quick. So, I mean, I think an observer seeing and saying, damn, that's a fast Nordane defense. Uh, I think there are other factors involved in there. That's more than just who runs the fastest 40. And then I agree with what you're saying that these previous couple defenses, anytime that Aquara was on the field, you had an exceptionally fast defensive end that could get around the edge. So first, second, fifth, best, whatever. It's a very fast defense, and that's a good thing. DOK, Doc Irish, will Tommy Reese call plays from the booth or on the field? I believe it's my understanding <laughs> is the booth. Um, you know, Chip Long was the exception being down in the field. I think Reese is going to be more of the rule up in the box. Yeah, I don't know why he wouldn't. Yeah, it's not a question that we've asked because right. he did his one game from up in the box. He spent before he called plays for Iowa State. He was up in the box. I don't yep. see any reason why he would want to be on the field making. We will plays. ask him. Uh, I'll ask him if he's going to call plays from the booth of the field next spring for the next year when we talk. When to you Tom. talk to him next, okay. C A Irish seventy seven. Considering the critical nature of the quarterback position with the threat of COVID looming. Could you see Kendall Abdurrahman or Avery, Avery Davis as the quote next man up unquote if Book Clark Pine are forced to sit? Uh, that's an interesting question. I, I don't know. I think it would be Davis, right? You would know the offense more for sure, for sure. Uh, uh, yeah, not even that. close. Not even close. Who are the walk-on quarterbacks? I don't even know. Yeah, actually, JD, Car- JD Carney, Cole Capen, and Chase Ketterer from New Prairie, and uh, well, the- right here by Notre Dame. Carney and Capen have been there for at least last year, so that would be. Yeah, uh, we don't know anything about them compared no, no. to a, a couple of the previous guys, Nolan Henry. Right. I would say uh, it'd be a mixture of Avery Davis and one of the walk-ons, whoever the better one is, because Davis could make plays for you. You know, you're not going to. Well, obviously, we're talking about if, if they're playing Clemson or Florida State's defense, it doesn't matter who starts out of those guys. But if they're playing <laughs> South Florida, probably have a nice little package yeah, for those I, two. I, I say it'd definitely be Davis. I mean, de- there, there, are no other, there are no other options close to as good as that one. Kay Beasley, long snapper aside, which freshman gets the most snaps versus Duke and in 2020? There's nobody on. I don't think there's anybody on defense unless it's Botello over the course of the season. It's it's two offensive guys, and it's probably not going, going to be the long snapper anyway. Right. I would go with Tyree. I would go with Tyree. It's an official Monday Musing prediction for the season a while ago. There you go. I and agree. It, and we're not sure it will be the long snapper either because the walk-on Michael Vinson might No, I think Michael Vinson wins that job. If he hasn't already, he probably has already. Indy banned, but we haven't seen a practice. So as, <laughs> as it relates you to that. Hey, you got to have more than one long snapper. Yeah, no, no doubt. As it relates to that, and since we haven't been able to ask a question about that, I have no idea. ND Band 94, are your expectations for the level of play from Notre Dame lowered at all because it is the first game and you did not see any practices? Or are you still expecting Notre Dame to come out strong and win decisively because they are Notre Dame and their opponent is Duke? I, I don't know if they're lowered. They're just less certain. Um I'm not, I feel like the last few years, you've sort of known what Notre Dame was going to be before the first game kicked off. I just, I just don't know. I don't, I don't know what they're going to look like. I mean, it's still Duke and they should beat them handily, but how they go about their business, the how I think is in question, but the final score is not. That's, that's the way I would view it. The second part, I definitely agree with. They should 
win decisively because they're Notre Dame and the opponent is Duke and Duke is actually missing some pieces. Um, my expectations are lowered a little bit for level of play because coaches need all their practices. They really do. I mean, if Brian Kelly, I, I think coaches need the practices. We kind of, you know, joke about some, the, the self-importance of coaches and their message and everything, but I guarantee you Brian Kelly is more apprehensive about this opener than he would be if they had 28 August practices all of summer and all of spring. Mm-hmm. So, now Duke also. Yeah. See, more, I think that's patience for Duke too. Right. I think that's all relative because everybody's in the same boat. It's interesting. It's Level interesting of play. Qu- I just think you won't be like, wow, okay, that's a, yeah. that's a, yeah. right. That's a, that's a different thing, but yeah. my expectations are higher because I haven't seen them practice. And when I watch practices, <laughs> pardon this reference, but as a former coach, when I watch practices, I see everything that's wrong. Yeah, that's why so, people like freshmen, because hmm. you don't know what's wrong yet. Right. So hmm. I'm I'm way more optimistic than I think I would be if I had seen the practices, because I would readily say they don't do that well, they don't do that well, they don't do that well. There might be 20 things that they that I see that they do well. But because, of, again, because of my background, I, te- I tend to focus on the – look, I was around Lou Holtz for 11 for, – for 11 years, you want to talk about a guy that focused on the negative. He taught me how to focus on the negative. So, and, and pra- all the practices were open. So I saw all the bad things that they did. And I believe like he did that they could lose the rice this weekend. So, they, couldn't, they couldn't lose the rice that weekend. No, I know, but I'm just, <laughs> but I'm just trying to make my point. Uh, Greg Flamong, Flamong asked, have you heard anything about Kyle Hamilton being used on offense? It was a possibility last year, and considering he's, quote, night and day, that was a Brian Kelly quote, different from last season, and with attrition having already happened and likely in the future, you'd think that that would be on the table again. I don't think so. I haven't heard anything about it. Um, the night and day was about leadership and dragging other guys along. It it has nothing to do with him as a player. I agree. Um, I agree with that. So that – I think it's just important to contextualize what night and day meant there. But um, I, I just don't see the need for him to considering he's going to play every snap on defense. Um, unlike last year when he was a part-time player and maybe you could get some red zone work. I'm not sure it makes nearly as much sense now. As it does, unless it's super limited of like your our jump ball inside right. the 10 yard line guy. I was going to say because of August, um, and all the challenges of August, he won't. I don't think he would be involved at all these first three games. But if they don't like their red zone fade options, like Michael Mayer doesn't do what we think he'll do. I mean, they don't have Chase Claypool, so maybe after a bye week, Kyle Hamilton could be set in there to make a, a play. But that's not any part of the offense. It's just you know you don't like something else. Remember, they were going to put him back there, and then all of a sudden, like, wait, why would we put him back there? We just throw the ball to Chase Claypool. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I think if they have guys that can do that now. There is so much. There's so much on Kyle Hamilton's plate this yeah. time around. Uh, it was almost you know, easier. It was easier last year to do it. Yeah, yeah that's it was. What I'm saying. He like he's a part-time player, right? He had a very specific role, and you play that. And hey, maybe we can take a peek at him at, at wide receiver. Tim, I agree with you. I think maybe in October after the after the bye week, right. it's something because again, that's when you play. You know, you play uh, Florida State, Louisville, and Pitt, and. Um, that's conceivably going to be a, a tough stretch. And you want to be able to do some different things than what you did in September. But I don't, I don't think that comes about until, uh, until October. Wash ND, even though we now expect Sean Crawford to start at safety, will he move up to the slot in nickel with Pryor and Griffith coming in at safety? If Griffith doesn't get on the field much this year, do you think he has much of a future at Notre Dame in terms of playing time? Hmm. <laughs> I have to see Crawford's the nickel still, but I don't know how you help the back end by taking him out of it for Pryor because Pryor's weakness would be tackling. I mean, I'm sorry, Pryor's strength is tackling, not coverage. Um, completely misspoke there. So Crawford is your best coverage safety. He's definitely your best nickel. I don't know if KJ Wallace is still working at nickel. Um, you know, I know my feeling about freshman nickels at Notre Dame, they only last a couple of weeks, so we'll find out. <laughs> they want to put in a freshman nickel again because they usually get uh, – worn out once they get to the college game other than Kyle Hamilton. So maybe Kyle Hamilton moves down in the nickel. You're also taking away the best free safety in the world. Right. Yeah. This is not being able to attend practice really hurts because it's the either or there. I think 
Kyle Hamilton will move down into the box. Yeah. In that situation. And as far as as far as Houston Griffith goes, like this is probably where that free year of eligibility is worth noting. Um, you know, if he is just a part-time guy this year, well, he still has two years left. Um, and I think he's a guy that may fall into that narrow window of definitely good enough that coaches want him around, but not good enough that going pro makes sense. So, you know, that could be a, he could be a guy like that. You guys kind of agree that if Isaiah Pryor's strength, as we are told, because we've seen him practice once without pads, if his strength is as an in-the-box, down-the-alley tackler, Houston Griffith should be able to come in at safety if you're going to move Kyle Hamilton down to the box. Right? I, I, would, I would agree with that statement, but I think, that D, I think D.J. Brown is just as likely to fill that spot right. as Houston Griffith right now. I caught a little grief the other day because I wrote a story about all the guys who would benefit from that extra year, and I didn't mention Houston Griffith. Until Houston Griffith shows... I mean, until Houston Griffith shows that he's he's going to be able to come come on the field and make some plays with some consistency, I, I, I just don't have a lot of hope. I'm hope I'm I hope I'm wrong. I'm pulling for the guy. They need him to come through, but that that's just my mindset now. Until I see him make some plays on a fairly consistent basis, I want to bring this up. I'm probably should save it for next week. Pete's theory that has really proven accurate. I think all nine out of ten years, what you see out of Notre Dame in the first game is indicative of what you'll keep seeing. That might not yeah. be true this year because the guy's missing time in camp that never would have missed time right. in camp. So right. I think what totally. you by the end of September might be indicative of it, but I'm not sure Duke's going to be indicative of anything. I, I am looking forward to seeing Houston Griffith make plays for Notre Dame. They need him to do that. ND Hawk 58, is the 2021 schedule affected by the change to the 2020 schedule? In other words, will USC be played at Notre Dame and will Notre Dame travel to Stanford as planned in 2021? Not again, not a question that we've gotten to, but my understanding is no, no, I I wouldn't, I I wouldn't think just on the surface, I wouldn't think you do that. Now, do you do, you do something about sharing gate or something from, from, from the missed game the previous year? I'm not sure, but they wouldn't change. They wouldn't flip flop it. No, it's well, you can never get back. You can't really ever get back the way they've scheduled out. You know, it's the 2020 season is is lost to the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and other conferences. And everybody playing those teams has lost those games. You could adjust the ACC games if you needed to, but I don't get the sense that that's necessary. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't see that happening. Not The the Stanford-USC thing, it just throws the whole schedule off kilter. They're not going to do that. Terry Benedict. No, I was just just a – on the Wisconsin thing, they're already on record. Like we're playing at Soldier Field next year. Oh, right, 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 right. right. Yeah, right. So, right, like that's a, that's an example of like they'll take twenty twenty one as is. Right, Terry Benedict. What has what has this offseason told you about Notre Dame and Notre Dame football as a whole? Ooh, there's a lot to that one. Yeah. Um, I I would say the the standout performance uh, from Notre Dame this offseason is the fact that they got their COVID testing for campus turnaround at a very dire had to have it situation that will, I think ultimately be the clutch performance of the season is the people running the testing um, in that corner of the stadium. Well, they, they, they went back in the classroom yesterday, so hold tight. Right. They're not partying in but, class, right? Yeah, right. I don't think no, but up to this point, of a deal. I, I really don't think the classroom is that big of a deal. I think it's part, it's, it's what you do in your time when you're gathered around yeah. socially. I, I don't, it's easy to social distance in a classroom at Notre Dame and other places that aren't, that don't have 200 people giant. Yeah, better yeah, be right. or our kids aren't going to be in school that long. Right. You're right. But, yeah. but people, people walk to classes together. I don't yeah. want to overanalyze this crap again, but uh, yeah, I, but you know, you're going to see a spike, right? Again. They, so, to be clear, I, I just want people to know this. T- talking to people around Notre Dame, they expect to see probably two more spikes. You know, and when it happens, you like I think people outside may freak out about it, but internally they're not. They're prepared for it. They have they have housing up to, I believe they can go up to a thousand, like spaces for people who are positive to quarantine or self isolate, and they're below two hundred right now. So it's like they they feel like they have a handle on it. And to throw in what I've learned about them, Brian Kelly is open to changing, open to being advised and listening to advice, and uh, is very well prepared to handle challenges off the field. I mean, yeah, I, I would Brian like Kelly to. had a great off season. I agree. He had a, oh. his, he and his teammates, or he his teammates, he and his program are closer. 
I think he, I think, he, I think he did a fantastic job. I mean, I, I, I think that as a, as a whole, and this, we've, we've addressed this on a couple of podcasts as a whole learning football is a united front. I, I think they've showed their discipline. I think Brian Kelly and his staff's control quote control of the players has been outstanding. I think they've shown that the team is bigger than the individual. You have to, in order to maintain the, the discipline during, during these times. I think they've done a great job. Yeah. I, I, I really have. And I, and I really think that that has a chance to show itself what happened, you know, as to what happens during this football season. I think Notre Dame has a distinct advantage. I don't know over how many of their opponents. I think they have a distinct advantage going into this season because of what they've done the last six months. CMU Pence fan, is there anything about Duke that should concern Notre Dame other than it's the opener? The Cutcliffe factor seems overrated at this point, especially after last year's thrashing. Well, he might have an actual quarterback this year, so I'm, I'm not. You know, yeah, like we, we, we saw Duke come to Notre Dame Stadium before um, with a quarterback that we we're like, who the hell is that? Uh, and then he ends up going to the top five of the draft. So he was all. That was what he was. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know how tall Chase Bryce is, but like, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I thought Duke was almost non-functional on offense last year yes. um, with this Quentin Harris, right? Like Quentin Harris, yeah. They will, they'll, they'll have an offense this year. Like they, they will be able to move the ball in some ways without it being feeling like Northwestern style from a couple of years ago. Where it was like, damn, this is really hard for them to do anything. Like, I think they'll, they'll be able to you know, score 14 points well, against Notre Dame. Uh, you know, and they have Chris Ruffin, Victor Cagey, the defensive ends. Those guys are good. Uh, they just lost their center, though, man. He just tore an ACL, and he was the leader of their fairly veteran offensive line. They have a kick returner, Phil Yaw Johnson, who had two kick returns for touchdowns against Wake Forest last year. They have a top 15 punt returner. They have Chase Bryce, who will be infinitely more predictable and I mean that in a good way for the coaching staff from a consistency standpoint so I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on CMU Pence fan here a little bit so you're telling me that David Cutcliffe is not a good coach now because Nordham kicked their butt last year is that I mean I still I still respect David Cutcliffe a, a lot I didn't get to know him really well but a little bit he's done a tremendous do- job at Duke they were terrible they they played terribly against Notre Dame last year, but yeah, they were overwhelmed. Um, I I feel like with edge rushers like that, you have a puncher's chance because Liam Eikenberg and Robert Hainsey, while I have faith in them, you can win eighty-one plays against those edge rushers, and if you both lose one at the exact wrong time, it's a massive swing of possession, or even worse, um, to keep a game closer. But the Duke should not. Duke should not be able to be with Notre Dame in the fourth quarter. I'm not no, saying I, they have, I they agree have a with couple that. pros. They have a couple pros going against Notre Dame's best players. You'll see if those guys happen to beat Eichenberg and Hainsey a lot, it, it's hard on book. I agree with you guys. And and at the end, I agree with CMU Penn's fan because Notre Dame should win handily. And I and I and I think they'll win comfortably. I don't know about handily, right. but I think they'll win comfortably. Irish gambler. Over under 20 points allowed per game, I assume he means this season. How many times did you play Clemson? Two. Hmm. Over. And Louisville and North Carolina, which yeah. are yeah. real quality offenses. I have on that one. I'm cheating a little in that I started our season preview, Tim, for our game by game picks we do annually when you predict the future in August, which is really fun this year in September when you didn't see anything in August. Um <laughs> I have them. I just, just happened to do it because this is a question. I had them giving up 18.1 a game. But, of course, you know, it wasn't. I wasn't being clinical in my game predictions. Some of it was fun. But I will say under 20 points a game. Yeah, and that's a good point, Pete, when, when you say how many times will they play Clemson. Yeah. Uh, probably at least two. And if Urban Meyer's prediction about them being in the playoffs together, they could conceivably play three times, which would be very difficult. But – and I think Louisville's offense is a pain in the butt and they're going to be difficult to handle for everybody. North Carolina's offense is really, really good. I, I, I love their offense. I had uh, I also considered Wake always scores garbage points against Notre Dame. Yep. I was doing it. Um, however, Duke, South Florida, Pitt, Florida State, Georgia Tech, and Boston College and Syracuse should not score a lot of points against no, Notre Dame. No, and that's why I'm going to go under too because let, let's just look at, at, at scoring offenses last year. And I know it's a different year, but just Georgia Tech 124th, USF 115th, Pitt 112th, Duke 93rd, they'll be better. 
Florida State, 73rd, they'll be better. Syracuse, 69th, I think they'll be worse. Boston College, I don't 62nd, I think, they, I think they'll be worse. Wake Forest, you're right, Tim. Uh, you know, normally late garbage points, but they've lost so many quality yeah. people, including a great receiver in Surratt. So I think if you add it all up, I mean, if they play Clemson three times, it's going to be a little difficult. They play Clemson but, three times. Who cares what they average per game and give oh, up? Oh, no, game? I agree. I, no, I'm <laughs> answering the question. wants an answer, Tim. Yes. I, yeah, under like, 20, just, I'm, still, said, I'm still – I'm saying right, under me, 20. Hedge. I'm going to hedge. If you go regular season only, under. Complete season, over. That's I mean, like it's like you right on the line. Oklahoma or Alabama or something like that. That's, That's yeah, right. well, if you, you're right. You play, yeah, you play Oklahoma, and, yeah, in the playoffs. Good question. Fair question. I'll take under – uh, I guess I'll take under regardless, but I think Pete Pete frames it the best way. The, oh, yeah, the, all the real twins, the real oh, Twenzel. The real Wenzel. Sorry, that's bad reading on my part. Is this team better or worse than the 2019 team? 2019 team. Maybe break it down by position group. That probably is the easiest way to do it for podcast. Man, when I break it down by position group, it it's worse for me. All right, QB. It, better. Running back. Push. Push. You can see. Yeah, yeah, you can see. Put, I'll say push. Wide receiver. Tony Jones, Jones again. Wide receiver. Worse. Worse. Tight end. Worse. Worse. Offensive line. Better. Better. If you don't say better, we're going to stop podcasting right now because <laughs> it's all over. All right. I, mean, I don't mean I'm going to argue. I mean the season's over. They'll lose three games. So uh, defensive end. Worse. Worse. Defensive tackle. Better. Right. Better. This is a great question. Linebacker. Better. Yeah, because it's two guys getting better, but losing a really good player there, or a really good one-year player. Uh, uh, I know, that's a hard Yeah, one. I'll say better. I'll say better. It, oh, you have really – oh, Sukormo and Drew White will be really good. Yes, so yes, yes, I agree. All right, you want to just do – let's just do, because this is the important thing on the back end, defensive backfield. No one cares if it's a safety or corner that gave up a touchdown, so that's defensive backfield, right? I, this is may, a tough one. Yeah, I, I've got to say uh, a, a push to worse. That's fair, too. Yeah, it's probably the best way to put it. I think worse, uh, but it could be a push, but worse because last year they had five guys you absolutely believed in. Now you have three, right? Three and a half. Their safeties were outstanding. And, and yeah. Kyle Hamilton's – He didn't start. Great. <laughs> no, I, I want to throw this in. I talked to a Cy Gilman, uh, Alohi's father, and he, he was telling me about Alohi who's in a good situation now that – a, there was a significant injury at safety for the Chargers. But he was talking about how frustrated Gilman got last year, because uh, Logie got, because they he was a known commodity and they steered things away from him. And that was something we talked about during the season. Don't, don't judge the safeties based upon how many passes broken up they have. You can't do that. You don't know how they are adapting to a veteran safety core. Yeah, I think last time we did a pie, I mentioned I talked to Alohi about this, and as a as a sort of look at to what Kyle Hamilton's season may be, um, where right, like you did, the, num- you did. Numbers yes. aren't, the numbers aren't there, and like that's not the way to judge it. No, what the way you judge it is when you're when you're in the top five in a country two years in a row in yards right. per pass attempt, yeah. and that's what they were. T. O'Malley and not me, <laughs> not me. Notre Dame will get into the playoffs if. They beat Clemson and Charlotte. Uh, I was looking at I was looking at a more uh, micro look. I guess if if the pass rush is comparable, which I think is up in the air. Yeah. If the if the if the safety play, if Sean Crawford can can give them a comparable level of safety play that they got from those two veterans back there, because we all believe, of course, that Hamilton will be very good. If the wide receiver chemistry can develop quickly which maybe you can do that considering who you're playing in, in September uh, between book and the young wide receivers. What do you have, have, Tim? I have two micro, but Pete's right on the macro. That's, that's what you do. Get it. You beat Clemson and Charlotte and you get in. Yeah. Um, I think pass rush is comparable. I totally agree with, and really drilling down. I know the offensive line is better than seven, at least eight, let's say eight defenses they're going to face. And the offensive line better be as good as Pittsburgh, Florida State's defensive line, and Clemson's front seven. 
I think we've said it before. Notre Dame is not going to out-athlete and out-quarterback and out-running back Clemson. Notre Dame's offensive line, you have to walk away from that game like you did. This I don't mean to draw a comparison, but you walked away from Florida State, Notre Dame in, 2000, or in 1993, and you said, man, Notre Dame's offensive line beat the living daylights out of them, so it didn't yeah. matter that they were faster everywhere else. Yeah, You have to be able to have walk away from the offensive line and say they won against Clemson. You could still lose the game, but they have to play great. They do another another micro look. I think I personally think Tagovailoa Mosa is about ready to take a huge step up. Um, they need that. They need that it. from the interior defensive line, which was solid and deep last year, and it'll still be solid and deep this year. But I think they need a playmate, a guy that can be yeah. a true playmaker there. And I think MTA is ready to to take that step. Denson, the man, twenty three. If you could sit down with Brian Kelly and ask him one question about his 2020 football team and get no coach talk, political answer, where he answers 100% truthful, what would you ask him? I'm not sure how I would phrase the question exactly, but I would, I would want to get into more of why Tommy Reese is the offensive coordinator, like why that was the nice. decision you made and how you made it. Like, give me the blow-by-blow blow of how you got to that decision. I'd want his opinion of how they compare to Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State if they're playing. What he really thinks of his program, his roster program, mm-hmm. and what they have against those three. Yeah, we're like we're talking about an off-the-record conversation. Yeah, he that has he knows to staying between you two. Right, he's going to answer that. If, I mean, if, as long as he, you know, assuming he would give us that answer, those are those are good yeah. ones. Reese was a good one. Yeah. No, I think those are both good, and 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 mine's a little bit different. Just exact just tell me exactly what you and your staff and jack swarbrick went through these last six months because i can't even no man that'd be rough i mean i i I can't even imagine the level of adjustment and uncertainty that they've had to deal with it's totally off the chart but not can't i i don't know how you can compare it to anything just because how do you compare a worldwide pandemic to anything that you've ever dealt with in your life. Yeah, uh, he has a lot of people involved now. Not to minimize anything they do, but people that are losing their jobs have a harder situation than Brian Kelly wondering right. if oh, play football well, or not. Sure. But sure. in terms of football and are you going to play, how's your day, you know, what? Do you, how do you even set up for a practice when you're like, oh, we don't have any running backs. Okay, let's uh, get some linebackers and backup receivers to come play. Like, that's just a weird, weird thing to, to go yeah. through all the time. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that. No, yeah, I know. I know. I'm just, I was yeah. just clarifying for you, like, it, you know, you're saying from a high end. What yeah, a from a high end football with. coach who's trying yeah. to win a national title. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and everybody's got their individual job every day of their lives. Yeah. Daily impacts too. everything. I mean, everything around the campus impacts you. They were having no COVID. <laughs> they were testing like champion and they got shut down because students weren't. That's a terrible feeling if you're breaking. <laughs> what, what is your day like when your your team can't all get dressed in a locker room at the same time? You got to come in shifts. Right. And that's just one example. Yeah. By the way, Boston College, no positive tests. I just talked to the Boston College writer for our site. Well, they're still not going to let they're still not going to let us into state, Tim. So this month. Yeah. Impressive. Uh, Notre Dame's most recent test was zero positives, I'm told. One from Monday. Uh, I think they're in the three per week stage now. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure when that started. May, that was, well, maybe it was Monday. I I don't know. I don't know exactly when that was taken. Yeah. I mean, they always test on Monday. If they tested yesterday, none of us would know what the results were anyway. Uh, then, it must, then it must have been Monday. That's what I was told. Okay. That's, that's good. That's good. Last question from TOG. Is this team good enough to play for the national title? Oh. That means win the playoff game, right? Two of them, yeah, right. To play, I mean, to play for play it, for, not win it. For, to play for it. So that so means telling, win, look, win a play. Yeah, it's beat Clemson twice and beat Alabama or Oklahoma. I, I just don't feel like Notre Dame is there. I think they can get to the playoffs, and then I don't. I think you're a three, four seed, and you have to play Clemson or Alabama in a playoff game. So that makes it really difficult. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose Alabama's could mini slide could continue, right? So at least you don't draw that juggernaut in a playoff situation. Well, I mean, they lost, you know, they were losing games last year. They never lost in the previous years. All they have to do is lose at the wrong time. You could draw Georgia in a playoff situation and not think it's the end of the world. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you probably need, you probably need someone to take out one of these teams for you, right? 
Because the thing is, you're probably going to get in with Clemson if you get in. That's that's the issue. Yeah, again, this is this is. Of course, we're being asked to look at this as all things being equal. So Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback for Clemson. Yes, whether you, yeah, whether yeah, you play yeah. him one, two, or three times, I think they can get. I think they're. Are they good enough to get to the playoffs? Yes. Are they good enough to beat Clemson at home? I think they can. Yeah, they're good enough to beat Clemson at home in one game. For sure. For sure. Sure. I think it's harder to win um, it in to Charlotte. Beat them twice, to beat them twice? Man, not, not, you know, now, now I – So, let Pete – But you're right, home. Georgia. I mean, if, if, if they play – yeah I, yeah, I think they could. Yeah. To get to the national title. But Pete made a good point when he said if they beat Clemson and Charlotte. But, Pete, let's say they go 11-0 and 0 and Clemson goes 10-1 and 1 and Clemson just rematches Notre Dame and gets them in a similar manner, 28-27, mm-hmm. you know, 30-24. 30, 30 yep. I mean, Clemson and Notre Dame look pretty attractive along with a one-loss Alabama, probably a one-loss Big 12 like Oklahoma. So it comes down to what happens to a team like Georgia when they play Alabama. You know, I mean – Notre Dame would have to look really good in both splitting to get in. Obviously, I, I, but I think you could do it, right? If you're 11 and 0 and you lose to Clemson in a rematch and it's 28 24, I mean, that's just kind of. A- Let me ask you guys this. Do you guys see another? I mean, we keep talking about the, the same SEC teams. LSU's not going to, going to go back to the playoffs. They I mean, lost if they do, much. Orgeron needs a race because <laughs> he <laughs> lost more than anybody yeah. in the world. <laughs> uh, could Auburn get there? Could uh, Texas A&M has everybody back and Jimbo Fisher's their coach? I just – I look at Alabama. I, I don't yeah. see who's going to touch them in I, the West. Like, I, they're up and everybody else is down. I think if Alabama is not there is what you have your chance. I mean, if Alabama's in the playoffs, you don't want any piece of that. That's not a fun. I mean, other than you're in the playoffs, play anybody you want. You're in the playoffs. You did could Notre, Dame, could Notre Dame lose to Clemson at home and beat them in Charlotte? Sure. Maybe. I mean, they could. Yeah, yeah because, I mean, because the fan situation, you know, the, you, you still have a home field advantage because teams have to travel to your place. Right. It's still not, it's not O'Malley, the same type of home field. You advantage. wrote about this, like, as sort of, I don't know if it was an FPI, but like just sort of the percentage likelihood of Clemson winning the game. It was, was it like 95%? It, it, was, like eight, it was like 86, 84, 84. Okay. 84%. All right. So less. It was, it was, wait, it was 84 because it was almost 16. I remember thinking, man, that just feels high. You know, it, it, you yeah. just wouldn't think, you would just think, you look down and see 74%. Like, oh, yeah, yep, of course, that's good. I just felt like, wow, that's the, in other words, it was the third highest on all of the schedule, like Notre Dame beating Duke and South Florida are number one and two, and then that. Mm-hmm. It just feels – I just like, – I mean, we've all covered all these games. If Notre Dame had gotten Georgia one time or they won at Florida State in 2014 or they beat Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl, I would feel differently. But every time they've been in this situation, they've lost. So it's hard for me to sit there and be like, yeah, they're going to be in this situation three times and go three for three. To win it, yeah. You no, know, to, get, no, to get there, you're right. You'd have to go three for three almost to get Clemson, there. Clemson, and the semi. And the semi, okay. Yep. That makes it hard. You know what I love about next week is that, not that this will prevent quite big picture questions, but next week, we'll next, week them. next week I'm going to be all about Notre Dame versus Duke and focus completely on that. And we can still answer questions, of course, like this. And it's, you know, it is thought-provoking, the, the, the different, can you beat them at home? If you don't, can you beat them in Charlotte? We're going to find out, and there's a lot we don't know because we have not seen this team practice, and we're not going to either. And we're also star for football. We will all be experts on Navy, Brigham Young, Army, and the like when we get gathered together next week. <laughs> no doubt. Podcasts, so. Now, we go, we go to two podcasts next week, uh, but probably not on Monday because that's a holiday. We will have Brian, we will have Brian Kelly. We will be, we'll be working on Monday because Brian Kelly will have his press conference. But, Jack, we'll go Tuesday and Thursday of next week. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Thumbs up, I need, Tim. I need I need Pete's line about Labor Day. <laughs> Labor Day, a holiday uncelebrated since two thousand one, and that was the first year I started covering Notre Dame. So, <laughs> and 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 you pronou- and you say it the same way that Brian Van Gorder once said Tony Springman's name when yeah. he wasn't <laughs> practicing. He said Tony Springman. Yeah, and we say. Labor Day? Labor Day is not making an impact on my social calendar at all. Labor Day is Monday of, of game week. And we'll be back on Tuesday with Irish Illustrated Insider. Thanks for joining us.
Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. 